to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. God is a God of love, but He's also a God of justice, and He's a God of perfect justice. And you see, if God were to just say, oh, no problem, Adam, don't worry about it, we're going to forget that, then He would not be just. And because He is a just God, a perfectly just God, He could not simply just bypass sin. Sin had to be punished. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Genesis, chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, in a message titled, The Fall of Man. Now, here's Pastor Brian. And in his book, Farewell to God, he wrote this. He said, A loving God could not possibly be the author of the horrors that go on daily and have gone on since time began and will continue as long as life exists. It is an inconceivable tale of suffering and death, and because the tale is fact, is in truth the history of the world, it is obvious that there cannot be a loving God. Now, Templeton was right in part of what he said, and this is where he was right. God is not the author of these horrors. The fact is this. God made man upright. Man made himself a sinner. And all of these stories of misery and woe and suffering, things that we've heard about all through history and things that we can read about right around us today, they're all traced back to this particular event. But this isn't the way it was intended to be. This isn't what God had in mind. And when God looked at everything and said, it was very good, this isn't what he saw. Because this isn't very good. This is bad, but never forget, God is doing something about it. And you know, people will often say, well, why doesn't God do anything about it? Hey, where have you been? God did something about it. He came into the world and did something about it. That's where the gospel comes in. But let's look at the second point that we see here in the story. The second thing we see is that death is not natural. It is a consequence of sin. You know, some people try to put death off into the category of, oh, you know, it's just part of the natural process. No, it's not. And anybody who says that is, they're just fooling themselves. And evidently, death hasn't come close enough to them yet for them to realize that it's not just another part of life. Because death is something that everybody who has a brush with it, everybody who encounters it in any way, shape, or form has a deep sense that this is not right. You know, it's amazing. If you think about how we as human beings are able to acclimate to different situations, uh, you know, we're pretty adaptable creatures, aren't we? But the one thing that we've never been able to adapt to in all of the, our years is death. We still can't adapt to it. It still comes in and it just wreaks havoc when it, when it strikes still. 
You would think after all of these centuries and all these millennia of facing death, dealing with death, we'd finally get to a point of just like, oh yeah, that's death. You know, well, it's death. Oh, I'm gonna die. Yeah, they told me I'm gonna die next week. So hey, you know, I'm gonna die. We'll see you later. It's been nice to be here with you on earth, but you know, I've gotta go back into the soil and replenish the uh, chemical supply so more plants can come and so forth. And uh, it's no big deal. Does anybody in their right mind think like that or talk like that? I say in their right mind. People do think like that and talk like that, but they must be out of their minds. The other day I was watching the news and I saw this. It was really amazing to me. I I saw this report on a flood that took place in a certain part of India. And they were telling the story about um, an 87-year-old man that had died because they weren't able to get medical help to him. And it showed that the, the cameramen were actually there when his son, who was probably about my age, came, you know, having heard that the father had died, he got back to the village. And the thing that struck me, and this was, I would assume it was a Hindu family. And of course, Hindus believe in reincarnation and things like that, as you probably know. But when this man arrived and there was the older man, he was stretched out there, you know, they had done whatever they do to bury them there. And the entire family was wailing at the top of their lungs. And the man was 87 years old. And I looked at that and I thought, wow, death, the great enemy of man. And even though this man was 87, even though he lived this long and you know perhaps prosperous or good life, whatever, obviously he was very loved, but they were gutted. They were just wrenching over the fact that he had died. What does that tell us? It tells us that death is not supposed to be. It is not supposed to be. That's what the Bible tells us, that death invaded, death intruded, death came in as the result of sin. By one man, sin entered into the world, and death came by sin. But again, we have the only answer. The Bible has the only answer. Christianity has the only answer to man's greatest enemy, and that is death. The third thing that I want us to see is in this passage, and I read all the way to verse 15 for this very reason, because we see that in light of the sin, the willful rebellion to God's command, the betrayal of Adam and Eve, the fact that they turned away from the God who made them and loved them and blessed them to follow after the suggestion of his enemy. But in all of that, we see God's determination not to let man go, but to do something to to bring man back. And of course, the 15th verse is the first prophecy in the Bible of the coming Messiah. And we'll talk about that in more depth later. But verse 15 is the first messianic prophecy. And and it's spoken in the hearing of Adam and Eve, but it's spoken directly to Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall crush your head, but you shall bruise his heel. We see the love and the compassion of God, that he would not let man go, but that he would 
go after man, that, that he would save man. And, and as you go on in the remainder of the story, which we'll look at a bit later, you see that God does everything as quickly as he can to restore man to at least some sort of fellowship with himself. You know, some people have asked the question, you know, well, why didn't God just say, hey, look, I told you not to eat from that tree. You blew it, but let's, let's start over again. Let's just, you know, forget that. We'll go back and let's just pretend like that didn't happen and let's try it again. But listen, this time, I'm serious. Don't, don't mess around. Yeah, you know, people have wondered that. Why, why couldn't God do that? You see, we have to understand something about God because what, what somebody would say was, well, you know, if, if God's such a God of love, I mean, why all this judgment and why this curse and why the death and everything else? If he's a God of love, why can't he just say, oh, you know, you blew it, but we'll take care of it. Don't worry, let's, let's get a fresh new start. You see, if we think in those terms, we're only thinking of God as he is partially. We're not thinking of him as he totally is because God is a God of love, but he's also a God of justice and he's a God of perfect justice. And you see, if God were to just say, oh, no problem, Adam, don't worry about it, we're gonna forget that, then he would not be just. So it would actually, it it was not possible that God could do that because God cannot He cannot contradict who he is in his own nature. And because he is a just God, a perfectly just God, he could not simply just bypass sin. Sin had to be punished. There is great hostility to that idea today, not just out amongst the philosophers. There's a lot of hostility to that idea even in some segments of the church today. The idea that Jesus was being punished for sin, the idea that God would actually punish sin, the idea that God would actually punish sinners. But listen, this is what the Bible teaches. There is no question about that. And it all is rooted in this event that we're looking at here. And so we see God's love, compassion, and mercy in the promise of a savior that he gave then at that point. Now, here's a question that I have been asked, and maybe you have as well, or maybe you've even thought this. And this is it. It goes something like this. If God knew that man would sin and bring all the misery and suffering into the world that there's been. We talk about God being omniscient. He knows everything, right? So if God knew all of that, and that even though he would offer salvation to man, not everyone would accept that salvation, and thus some would perish eternally. If God knew all of that, why would God even have created man in the first place? I have had a few people ask me that question or something very similar to it. 
And it's one of those philosophical things where you're, you know, you're thinking about it. And again, I'm not saying it's, it's a bad question or it's something that shouldn't be asked. If it's being asked in sincerity, it's, it's a legitimate question. Why would he have done it in the first place? Well, I don't know. <laughs> and neither does anybody else, except God alone. See, we don't know. And like Pastor Chuck has said over the years, you know, when it comes to the why questions, I don't know why. If God did not tell us specifically why he did things, then all we can do is guess. Sometimes it's an educated guess. Sometimes it's a, it's a good scripturally influenced guess. Sometimes it's just none of those things, and obviously it's a bad guess. But I think that even though God did not tell us specifically, I think we could take an educated guess based on Scripture, at least partially. And I would say that the reason God did it, one of the reasons, is that he did it for love, and evidently, he considered it all to be worth it. He did it for love. I mean, in a sense, we're told that in Hebrews chapter 12, when it speaks of Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Why did Jesus go to the cross? For the joy that was set before him. The joy of what? The joy of redeeming mankind and the joy of fellowshipping with his creation for eternity. And, you know, when you ask those questions about why would God do this knowing all of these things, what it does, in my mind, is it just magnifies the love of God and it shows the depth of God's passion for his people. That in the end, with all of these things, and and of course, yes, we agree that I don't want to minimize the sin and suffering that man has gone through in history. History is just one continuous tale of suffering and misery and pain and woe and death. That's what history is. But evidently to God, all of that, as bad as it is, was worth what will come about in the end. But you know what we always have to keep in mind, and to me this is profound, is that when God created the world, knowing like of course he would, as we've mentioned, because of his omniscience, knowing everything that was going to transpire, knowing every evil act that would ever be perpetrated on whoever, we must remember that God did what he did with the full knowledge that he himself would suffer the greatest consequences of sin by becoming the one on whom all the sin of the world would be laid and punished. To me, that just opens up a whole new dimension to this topic here. You see, yes, God created the world. No, God did not create evil. Yes, God did allow evil to come into the world. 
And because of evil, men have suffered. Innocent people have suffered at the hands of wicked men and people have suffered through disease and you know, catastrophe and all of those kinds of things. And yes, God allowed all of that to happen, but he did not exempt himself from it. That to me is the amazing thing. You know, if I were God and I was, you know, there's three of us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So, you know, we're having a conversation about this world that we're gonna create. And of course, part of what's gonna happen in this is we are going to be intimately involved in this. God the Son is going to go down into this world as a man. He's going to live among them. He's going to be despised and rejected by them. He's going to be brutally murdered. You know, if I were God, I would have said, you know, maybe we don't need to make this world. Maybe we ought to just keep it the way it is. But God didn't do that. And so he created with the full understanding that these things would transpire, but that he himself would come into the fallen world and that he would experience and drink the bitter cup of the wrath of God against sin. Now, as we all know, no man has ever, could ever, will ever suffer in any way, shape, or form to the extent that Jesus suffered. It's not even possible. Not only did Jesus suffer an incredible agony physically, of course, we know he did. If we know anything about crucifixion, we know that it was a horrific way to die. It was so horrific that the Romans who perpetrated crucifixion on so many, they did not even want their citizens to hear the term. It was that horrific of a thing. And all that Jesus went through physically as agonizing and as horrific as that was, that was only a small, small part of it. Of course, the greater suffering that Jesus endured was the spiritual suffering. That he, the holy, spotless, pure, righteous Lamb of God, would have all of the filth and vileness and perversion and wickedness of mankind laid upon him. Not just my sins, not just your sins, but the sins of everybody that's ever lived. The vilest sinner, all of that was poured upon Jesus. And because he was bearing that, all of the wrath of God was poured out upon him. And these are things that our minds you know, in the end, we can't even comprehend this. We can't even imagine it. But he did all that he did in creating the human race and allowing what he allowed. He did it all with a full knowledge that it would cost him his life to come and make things right that had gone wrong. 
And so here we are. And the message is, this is not the world that God made. And here's the great news. It's not the permanent state of things. It's not the permanent state of things because God is at work to bring the world back to what he originally intended it to be. You know, man has been on a quest since he rejected God's rule over himself. He's been on a quest to set up a kingdom, to set up uh, a utopia. (laughs) You know what the word utopia means? It means no place. There's no such thing. And every endeavor by man to create a utopia has ended in a disaster. There's no such thing. There's no such place that man could ever bring about because wherever a man goes, he carries the same problem with him, and that's the problem of sin. But we're not looking to any man to set up a utopia. We're not looking to any political party to set up a utopia. We're looking for Jesus Christ to come back and right the wrongs and reverse the effects of sin and bring things back to the way God intended them to be. And he's going to do that. And, you know, that's the, uh, another part of the message that we've got for people. It's not, you know, just this is why the world is what it is and, and Jesus has come to, you know, put us right with God. But it's also, and look, there's a future God has a future plan, not just for us personally, individually. God has a future plan for this planet. And man, that's exciting. That's great news. And as we look around us today, it seems like we're, we're racing toward that end. But in closing, this is the biblical answer to the question, questions Why are things the way they are? Well, they're this way because man who is created by God rebelled against God, and this is the result. But the good news is God loved us, and he sent his son, and he's one person at a time. He's bringing us back to what we were intended to be. And so through the... Spirit of God, we are being conformed back into the image of the one who created us. That which the fall marred, the Spirit of God is restoring the image of Christ in us. And one day, it's going to go beyond us, and righteousness is going to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea, and boy, it's going to be a great day. And in the meantime, we'll just keep serving the Lord. And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. 
I want to tell you about a really fun book that I stumbled across recently. It's by Andrew Wilson, and it's a book called God of All Things, subtitle, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World. And the cover of the book kind of says it all. There's a bird, there's a pig, there's a tree, there's a flower, there's a salt shaker, a loaf of bread, a fish, there's rain. And Andrew does an amazing job of just looking at all of these common things around us and seeing different aspects of who God is and what he's done through those things. So I used it for a devotional time. It's a fantastic book. I highly recommend Andrew Wilson's God of All Things. Again, this month's resource is a book titled God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World by Andrew Wilson. You can order the book God of All Things by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, The God of All Things by Andrew Wilson, to help you discover God is in the everyday things of life. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.